Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa and by Stuart Weir. And on this week's show, we look ahead to the upcoming CAF Awards, with Victor Osimen heading the shortlist for the Men's Player Award. We take a look at the rise of football in Mauritania, with Nouadhibou getting their first ever win in the group stage of the Champions League. We speak to Nigeria midfielder Fisayo Deli Bashiru on life in Turkey with Hatay Spor. And we have Stuart on the English Premier League, with Man City now in fourth, six points behind the leaders, Arsenal. Let's start with the CAF Awards, which are on this coming Monday in Marrakesh in Morocco. And CAF has revealed the uh, final uh, three-name shortlist uh, for the categories. Uh, for the biggest one, the Men's Player of the Year, there's Mohamed Salah of Egypt and Liverpool, Atraf Hakimi of Morocco and Paris Saint-Germain, and the hot favourite Victor Ossimen of Nigeria and Napoli. And Ossimen was this past Monday uh, given the Italian Footballers Association Player of the Year Award for his performances with Napoli last season, taking them to their first league title in 33 years in the Italian Serie A. Uh, for the Women's Player of the Year, there's Assisat Oshwala of Nigeria and Barcelona, Tembi Katlana of South Africa and Racing Louisville, and Barbara Banda, the Zambian, who plays in China for Shanghai Shengli. Uh, the Men's Coach of the Year, the main contenders, Walid Regragi of Morocco, uh, who did so well with them at the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. Uh, he's the strong favourite. Aliou Cisse of Senegal also there. Uh, for the Women's Coach of the Year, there's Ray Reynold Pedros, the Morocco coach, and two South Africans, Desiree Ellis, the women's national team coach, and Jerry Chabalala, who coaches Mamelodi Sundowns ladies, who recently won a second women's Champions League title. For the men's goalkeeper of the year, there's Andre Anana of Cameroon and Manchester United, Yassine Bonu of Morocco, and Al Hilal, who did so well at the World Cup, and also Mohamed El Shenawi of Egypt and of Al Athli. So those awards are on this coming Monday. Much more on the CAF Awards on next week's show. And let's go to the Women's Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers as a qualifying is complete for the 2024 finals which are on in Morocco next year with the date yet to be announced. So the second round of qualifiers complete and 11 teams have made it through to join the host Morocco. And uh, some big wins there with uh, Zambia winning 12-0 on aggregate against Angola, winning both legs by six goals to nil. Uh, Mali were 10-2 winners on aggregate over Guinea, uh, Nigeria 7-1 over Cape Verde, having won the first leg 5-0. Senegal threw comfortably, beating Egypt 4-0 on aggregate. Algeria beat Burundi 6-1 on aggregate. Uh, much closer was uh, DR Congo, uh, beating Equatorial Guinea 3-2 over the two legs. Also 3-2 on aggregate for Tanzania over Togo and for Ghana. Uh, the Black Queens are edging Namibia 3-2 on aggregate. Botswana qualified 
side. They beat Kenya 2-1 on aggregate. And Tunisia, uh, they knocked out uh, Congo Brazzaville by six goals to three. South Africa threw 3-1 on aggregate against Burkina Faso. Uh, so the finals are on in Morocco next year for the Women's Africa Cup of Nations. Uh, date is to be announced. And the CAF Champions League, a match day two. Lots of surprises. Some big teams were beaten, including Mamelodi Sundowns, uh, who recently won the African Football League. Uh, they lost by a goal to nil to uh, five-time champions TP Mazembe of DR Congo. In Group C, Al Ahly stayed on top, uh, but they were held to a draw uh, by Yanga, young Africans in Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. Percy Tao on the score sheet uh, for Al Ahly, the uh, South African. Uh, but uh, Yanga did equalize uh, in injury time. Joanang Galaxy of Botswana held Simba of Tanzania to a goalless draw. And Widat Casablanca, two defeats in two for the Moroccan former champions. They lost to Asek Mimosas in Ivory Coast and uh, could see themselves going out at the group stage. Petra Atletico of Angola beat a 12 du Sahel of Tunisia 2-0. They've got two wins from two there on top of Group D. And uh, Medeyama of Ghana in the group stage for the first time beat CR Lewis dad of Algeria uh, by two goals to one in Kumasi and Al-Hilal of Sudan beat Esperance of Tunisia 3-1 that game played in Dar es Salaam and a really notable achievement Mauritania's Nouadhibou who've been a surprise package uh, so far this season got their first win ever in the group stage as they beat Pyramids of Egypt 2-0 uh, despite finishing the game with 10 men uh, so this Ida underlines the amazing growth in football in Mauritania this victory for Nouadhibou you know Steve when people People talk about football development in Africa. It's easy, you know, to point towards Morocco, sometimes not even realizing that Mauritania also have an incredible story and the depths they've had to come from. Steve, we're talking a team here that was once in 2012 ranked as low as 206 with only three other countries considered to be worse in the world. They had actually been banned from AFCON qualification rounds after failing to fulfill fixtures back then. Steve, Mauritania in those years were continentally known as the whipping boys. They were an easy three points, no matter which country was playing them. Between 1995 and 2003, for example, Mauritania had lost all 33 matches they'd played. I mean, there were years, Steve, that the country's Premier League was not played at all. And people sometimes, you know, misuse the word revolution. But Steve, that's exactly what Mauritanian football has gone through. And it's thanks to Ahmed Yaya, president of their federation, He came in with a plan in 2011 and totally changed things up. And yes, that's how long it's been, this plan in motion, gradually, year by year. I mean, there are now over 600 clubs across the country. There are more than 65,000 registered players at all levels. Steve, from not having a Premier League to having under-19 all the way to under-15 level for boys, as well as female teams at senior and youth level. 
stayed three stadiums, one of which is recognized by FIFA. Don't forget that this is a country of give or take four million people, you know, and a lot of the land is desert. Steve, there are artificial pitches and a national academy. It's incredible. The country qualified for the Africa Cup of Nations for the first time in 2019. And, you know, even though the nation failed to win a single game, I mean, they weren't disheartened. They built on that experience and they did make the cut for the 2021 edition. This is how growth happens gradually, not all at once. And Steve, now the country has signed an MOU with Saudi Arabia. So I think it only gets better for them. Well, so really inspiring for other nations too, uh, knowing that they can make huge progress if they're well organized, uh, as uh, is the situation in Mauritania. Thanks a lot, Ida. Well, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport to our interview with Nigerian Fisayo Dele Bashiru, who's had one appearance for the Super Eagles. He started his career at Manchester City before spending three seasons at Sheffield Wednesday in England between 2020 and 2023. He then joined Turkish club Hatay Spor this season. That's the club hit by the earthquake in February, which acclaimed the life of the great guy. Winger Christian Achu. Uh, we're moving to Hataya Spore has been a blessing for Dele Bashiru after his goals and assists caught the eyes of Nigeria coach Jose Pesero. And Dele Bashiru made his debut, uh, starting in the Super Eagles 3-2 friendly win against Mozambique in Portugal a few weeks ago, where he contributed to assists. Well, Dele Bashiru spoke to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oloashina Kaleji on a following in his brother's footsteps and playing for Hataya Spore and first on making his debut for the Super Eagles. Ah, it's a surreal feeling. Um, obviously, when I found out I was selected, I can't really describe the feeling. I was very, very happy. My parents very happy also. So um, getting my debut and also having two assists is, is an amazing feeling. Everyone says they want to go through the youth path to get to the Super Eagles. Your journey has been different. Not everyone gets that opportunity. Yeah, um, I've had quite a up and down roller coaster journey from when I was um younger. So I started off at Man City when I was seven. Um I played for C um for twelve years and after that I went to Sheffield Wednesday, um played there for three years. You know, didn't really have the best of times there but you know, it was, it was, it was okay. And this season, you know, a new beginning. I went to Turkey to play for Atayspor and it's been going well for me so far. And, um, my performances, I've, you know, the coaches here at Nigeria have rewarded me for my performances at my club. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just very happy. I'm very happy that it's come, it's come about. You followed in the footsteps of your brother. Your older brother has played under 20s and under 23 for Nigeria. You must be looking forward to playing with him in the Super Eagles. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. That is the goal. You know, in the end, we we speak about it all the time. I just imagine two brothers playing in the same team, representing your country. Of course, our parents will be very, very proud of us. And us um, as people together will be very proud as well. 
What does it feel like to compete against players like Nigerian national team? You know, they've got players all over the world because um, you go into World Cup qualifying, you go into, uh, you know, the AFCON build-up and all of that. You're ready for it. Yes, um, I'm a guy who doesn't shy away from challenges. I like challenges. So, you know, training has been good. The quality of players there is very, very high. Of course, people are playing in all the top leagues in the world. And I feel like this is... Something that will bring the best out of me too. There will be difficult games coming up in the in the qualifiers, the World Cup qualifiers and the Afcon. But um, you know, like I said before, I like a challenge, and if I'm selected or if I get the chance to play, I'll I'll, I'll try my best and do my best for the country. Tell us a bit more about Turkey. I tell you, Paul. I mean, they spend more time in Istanbul than ever. You feel like it's a team away from home. Does that tend to have any effect on you guys? Um, not really, because of course everyone knows about the um, disaster that happened in the city of Hatay, the earthquake. So, of course, this is the um, next best option for everyone, and you know the coaching staff that are still there. That you know they enjoyed the, the earthquake. Some of the players also that enjoyed the earthquake. You know, we're all like it's more like a family bond now. With everyone, so we're all a family working towards one goal, and I feel like having the city as well in the back of our minds that okay, the people they need my joy back again. This is what really motivates us and drives us to do good. So you guys play for the colours of the club, and then you play for the heart of the people. Yes, of course, for the city. So that's a 22-year-old Nigeria midfielder, Fisayo Deli Bashiru, speaking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Okaleji. Uh, his brother Tom, by the way, plays for Watford in the English Championship. Uh, so he uh, made his debut for the Super Eagles uh, a few weeks ago in a friendly match and uh, could be an interesting prospect uh, for Nigeria either. Could be, Steve. I mean, he's young. He's just 22 years old and now has one cup with the Super Eagles. He could have also turned out for Germany, as that is where he was born, or England, you know, which is where he grew up. But hopefully he finds his footing with Nigeria. Now, Dele Beshiru has been described as a box-to-box midfielder with good pace and dribbling. However, Steve, his academy coach at Man City said that one thing that Nigeria needs more of is consistency. He struggled to solidify a first-team place at Sheffield Wednesday. I mean, you've heard him there pretty much allude to the fact that his time at the club, you know, could have been better. Also aided by injury, has to be said. And look, the club is doing horribly. You know, they are bottom of the EFL championship and Dele Bashiru left as a free agent over the summer. And as you've said, Steve, it was probably a blessing in disguise because the player hit the ground running at Hattaspor. Now, he had already scored four goals from six matches, and at one point, Hattaspor was one of only three teams that hadn't lost a match. Granted, you know, that has since changed, and they currently sit mid-table. But... As we've already said, consistency will either make or break him. His good start in Turkey is said to have attracted the attention of some of the bigger Turkish clubs, you know, like Fenerbahce, and apparently one or two European clubs. 
But if that is the case, I do think it would be quite, quite premature. You know, the player is not even half a year in a Tatispor where he has a three year contract. But definitely I do wish him all the best. Yes, if he can shine there in Turkey, a chance of getting more games for Nigeria, possibly getting called for the Africa Cup of Nations in a few weeks' time. Thanks very much, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on the English Premier League, as it's looking very interesting at the top of the table, with Arsenal on top and Man City down in fourth. You can follow us on X at Planet Sport FA and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, now let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. And lots to talk about with the midweek matches in the English Premier League. Arsenal on top, 36 points from 15 games. Uh, Liverpool in second on 34. Aston Villa now up to third. They have 32 points after shocking Manchester City on Wednesday. Uh, City are in fourth on 30 points, six points behind Arsenal. What do you make of this, Stuart? Well, with clubs playing three games in eight days, that's an awful lot of points to be won and lost and real potential for dramatic effect in the league table. And with Arsenal and Liverpool winning twice and Manchester City picking up just one point, as you say, the league table has changed dramatically with Arsenal amazingly now six points ahead of Manchester City. We've talked about Aston Villa's incredible run of home wins and they maintained it, beating Manchester City 1-0 on Wednesday. And would you believe it, Villa are at home to Arsenal on Saturday. There have been some incredible games in the week, games with lasting significance, you might say. I mean, Liverpool were losing to Fulham at Anfield with just three minutes of the game to go, but two goals in two minutes gave them a 4-3 victory and left Fulham pretty frustrated to have gone to Liverpool, played so well and been denied right at the end. And then there was Arsenal beating Luton midweek, but only just. Luton played so well, coming from behind twice, leading 3-2, only for Arsenal to equalise at 3-3. And then the fourth official signalled six minutes of additional time. But more than seven had been played, before Declan Rice headed home to give Arsenal an unlikely 4-3 win. Luton must have been so gutted to see the draw snatched away after such a long period of additional time, but I suppose we're getting used to that. And all credit to Arsenal for staying in the game. Tottenham went to Manchester City on the back of three defeats, but played brilliantly, twice coming back to draw 3-3. There was an unfortunate referee error in that game with Simon Hooper stopped play to give a free kick to Manchester City when Grealish was in a goal-scoring position. The referee was surrounded by Manchester City players with Erling Haaland in particular screaming at the official. Pep Guardiola, once he had calmed down, was more measured, saying he accepted the decision as players as well as managers and referees sometimes made mistakes. Manchester City, though, had followed three successive draws. That's 4-4 at Chelsea, 1-1 at home to Liverpool, 
and 3-3 at home to Tottenham with that defeated Villa. Very on Manchester City-like to concede nine goals in four games. City go to Luton on Sunday and, as I've said, Arsenal go to Villa. Curious how Luton and Villa face both Arsenal and Manchester City in the same week. Yes, Russ, if you have thoughts on this on social media this week, are Manchester City going to win the league? So they were hot favourites to win the title again, having been treble winners last season, but they haven't won in four games now. They're six points behind Arsenal, the leaders. Manager Pep Guardiola even admitted that his side are struggling after they lost 1-0 to Aston Villa on Wednesday. So do you think Man City are going to win the league, or is their reign coming to an end? We love to hear your thoughts on this. You can go to our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Are Man City going to win the league or is their reign coming to an end? Right elsewhere at the bottom of the table we've had our first managerial casualty of the season, Sheffield United parting ways with manager Paul Heckingbottom, Stuart. Steve, it's taken to December to see the first manager sacking of the season. In each of the last two seasons, six managers had gone by the end of November. Don't tell me that common sense is beginning to prevail. Sheffield United are bottom of the Premier League, four points from safety. And after losing 11 of their opening 14 games, including 5-0 last Saturday at Burnley, to be fair, playing with 10 men for much of the game, the owner felt it was time for change. The owner is Prince Abdullah from Saudi Arabia, an interesting man. He owns Sheffield United and also four other clubs in four different countries, and he decided a new manager was needed. Paul Hackingbottom, the departing manager, must feel really frustrated. He did so well to get Sheffield United promoted last season, But while Burnley, who were promoted with Sheffield United, were spending £150 on new players in the summer, and fellow strugglers Bournemouth spending even more, Sheffield United sold two of their best players, arguably left the manager playing in a higher division with a weaker squad than he'd had in the Championship. The new manager is Chris Wilder. He will be a popular choice as manager of Sheffield United, having been successful in that job 2016 to 2021. Now, I don't remember exactly the circumstances of his departure, but it did seem a strange decision given how well he had done during those five years. He also is a former Sheffield United player, so knows the club pretty well. We wish him well, but he's starting with a very weak squad. Home to Liverpool was a tough first fixture, with Sheffield United losing uh, 2-0 this midweek, and at the weekend, they're at home to Brentford. So Chris Wilder back as the Sheffield United manager. Now what about Manchester United, uh, Stuart? So much uh, passionate debate about uh, Man United, their issues, uh, certainly attracting lots of controversy. Uh, But uh, much of the time, they are actually getting results and they were 2-1 winners over Chelsea midweek. Steve, we have a saying in England, a week is a long time in politics and it's an equally long time in football, especially for Manchester United. United lost 1-0 at Newcastle last Saturday on a day when nothing went right for them. They turned up at Manchester Airport to fly to Newcastle only to discover 
that snow had closed the airport and leaving them with a three-hour road trip. And United were poor at Newcastle, lucky only to lose 1-0, hardly having an attempt in goal. And then in midweek, some newspapers reported that Eric Ten Hag had lost the confidence of his players. But the journalists who wrote that were then banned from his press conference. Pretty petty, really. Then Wednesday, they were brilliant, beating Chelsea 2-1 after missing a penalty. And several good chances. Scott McTominay scored both goals, that's six league goals this season. Quite a lot for a midfield player who seemed surplus to requirements in the summer, but he's now a first choice. And incredibly, this was the twelfth successive league game that Chelsea had failed to beat Manchester United. If a week is a long time, what about a month? Harry Maguire spent much of the early season on the bench and potentially on the transfer list. Now he's a first choice and in November was the Premier League Player of the Month. With Rafa Varane, World Cup winner with France, not even able to get on the bench against Chelsea. Great attitude and great performance by Maguire. Now, there are rumours that United's Cameroonian goalkeeper Andre Onana may make himself unavailable for the Africa Cup of Nations in the new year. With his form being disappointing in the three months he'd been into club, he's understood to be concerned that missing up to four games could jeopardise his position as first-choice goalkeeper. But Onana this week got support from a very welcome quarter, with his manager Eric Ten Hag quoting up the statistics on the number of saves made and the number of potential goals prevented. Onana is second in the list of 20 Premier League goalkeepers, with only Luton Town's Kaminsky with better stats. And he looked good against Chelsea, making one vital save. Perhaps it's turned a corner for him. Yeah, really hope so uh, for Andre Anana. And uh, we'll see if he will miss the Africa Cup of Nations because of uh, those doubts about him losing his place as the Man United first-choice keeper. And uh, what else have we got for us, Stuart? Well, Chelsea's 3-2 win over Brighton was only their second win in the last 14 home league games. And that's in a calendar year in which they've lost 17 Premier League games, making it the worst year since 1993. And it's not as if they haven't spent money on players. Bad news for Nottingham Forest striker Taiwo Awonyi who had surgery on a groin injury and may be out until February or March. And it was a desperate week for Forrest, losing at home to Everton 1-0 and then 5-0 away to Fulham. Steve, promotion and relegation is such an important part of English football, as was shown by the Premier League game between Brentford and Luton Town, who met for the first time as Premier League clubs, but just 14 years after they'd played each other in League Two, the fourth tier of English football. Now, there was a recent goal scored by Jordan Ayew for Crystal Palace when opponents Tottenham were convinced that the ball had touched Ayew's hand, but the officials saw nothing. Now, that will not happen at next summer's European Championship because the ball will have a microchip working in tandem with limb-tracking technology, whatever next, Steve. And this will show conclusively if the ball touches a player or not. 
And if it's successful, you can see that being introduced everywhere. There's been a new contract for UK TV rights for the Premier League. In the Premier League's first season, 1992, TV rights were $47 million for the year. The figure in the new contract, starting in 2026, and remember this is UK rights only, is $2.1 billion. That works out at $7 million per game. Wow. Cameron's Joel Matip suffered a knee injury for Liverpool, which his manager fears could keep him out for several months. Bad luck for him, really. And then there's Mohamed Kudus from Ghana, who scored for West Ham against Crystal Palace. And that's his sixth goal in all competitions for West Ham in his first season in the Premier League. Arsenal, I thought you'd want to know, Steve, have just scored their 100th goal in 2023. And only four other clubs in Europe have scored 100 this year. Manchester City, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich and Bayer Leverkusen. Well, the 100 club and Arsenal certainly giving us so much entertainment during the course of 2023. Thanks very much, Stuart. That's it for the show for this week. A reminder of our question on social media. Are Manchester City going to win the league? Uh, They were hot favourites to take the title again after being treble winners last season, but they haven't won in four league matches. They're now six points behind the leaders, Arsenal, down in fourth place. So do you think Man City will win the league or is their reign coming to an end? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there or send us a white app to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero that's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero our man city going to win the league well that's it for the show for this week so from me steve vickers in zimbabwe from ida waringa and from Stuart weir thanks a lot for listening and planet sport football africa is a passion for sport production